The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Then the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death that he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for the purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, if you're new with us or newer, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship. And it's really good to be with you as we continue in the Gospel of John and as we wrap up chapter 18 this morning. And right off the bat, I am going to be really vulnerable with you at the risk of you not thinking less of me. Some of you know this, but if you're new, uh, if you're newer, you, you definitely don't know this. Um, so prepare to have your minds blown here. I've never seen any of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> Paul's leaving. Um, I've, <laughs> I've never seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies. I've never seen The Hobbit. I've never seen, man, <laughs> see, offensive words right here at the start. Um, Harry Potter, I've never seen it. But I know, disappointing, I know. Um, but I have seen a lot of obscure documentaries. <laughs> and uh, as I was thinking about this passage this morning that we're going to get into, I thought about actually one of my favorite documentaries because it's so compelling and it's so interesting is on this company called Enron, this company that was founded in 1985. It was an energy, commodities, and um, sorry, it was an energy, commodities, um, and trading company that within 10 years, Fortune named the most innovative company in America, which is phenomenal. From the outside, this company looked incredible. It looked so lucrative. It looked like it was going to be this powerhouse um, for decades to come. And yet, as you see, what's unfolding on the inside is anything but this. 
What people didn't know is that this company was actually losing millions. But instead of reconciling that, instead of being upfront about that, honest about that with the shareholders and with others in the company, they started to mess with the books. They started to claim earnings that they hadn't earned in order to make the company look more profitable. They would do anything possible to keep up this appearance of being one of the most powerful and profitable companies in the world until eventually it all came crashing down. At the peak, this company traded on Wall Street for over $90 a share, and within 18 months, that dropped to 26 cents. People lost billions, their retirement, everything that they put into this company. Top-level executives would spend years and years in prison for what they took part in. People were stunned by it, asking, how could this happen? How does this happen? Well, because they were building, at least in their own minds, this empire, this kingdom, that they would do anything to preserve and protect. And today, as we get into the end of John chapter 18, we get a firsthand look at this idea of kingdom building from three different perspectives. And we have an invitation here to reflect, to repent where needed, to reorient our way of thinking and living. And it's ultimately for our good. This big idea that's simple as it may sound, that we are all kingdom builders. The question is, what kind of kingdom are we building? And let me just say up front, this passage is heavy in what it's going to show us. It's convicting in a lot of ways, at least it has been for me this week in reading it and studying it. And I just want to say that's okay. That's actually good. Because that's in essence what the gospel is, is it convicts us, it shows us where we try to do things on our own, where we try to make it right on our own, where we try to chase after things that we think are going to be fulfilling, that we think are going to make our life exactly like it should. And, and what God does, not out of his condemnation or shaming us, but because he actually loves us, is he offends us in a way, offends our flesh, offends our pride to point us to a greater reality that we need him and that he wants to be our savior that we can't save ourselves and nothing else can save us, but he can and he does. And so even in the weight of this, there's good news because that's what the gospel offers. So I want to say that as we jump into this passage, first let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for speaking to us here in this way. Thank you for your willingness to do what we deserved for your willingness to go where we should go. Jesus, I pray that you would be put in a place of prominence today, that you would be put on display, that we would realize our great need for you and that we as a church would be a reflection of you. God, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us. Whether we don't have a relationship with you, whether we're maybe curious about what that looks like, what that means, we're investigating. Whether we do and maybe... Um, sort of like the prodigal. Maybe we've, we've sort of drifted. Maybe we've sort of pushed back. You're inviting us back home. God, no matter where we are, no matter what we've brought in, would you speak to us? And not in a way that condemns us, but in a way that frees us. 
to be who you've called us to be, to live as you've called us to live. So Jesus, would you lead us during this time in your name? Amen. All right, let's jump right into this. John chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 28. You heard it read. And what we're going to see is that all the participants, three specifically, um, in this passage have their own kingdoms that they're looking to build, each with a different agenda. So let's look at this in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. So who is they? Well, these Jewish leaders who went and arrested Jesus or had him arrested in the garden. The disciples are there. He doesn't struggle. He doesn't um, push back. He says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus. He says, I am he. They drag him away, and they take him to the house of the chief priest for that year, Caiaphas, the one who said, it's good that one man die, right? And so they take him there. And then they take him from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. This was Pilate at the time. He's a leader um, in uh, Rome. He's a Roman leader, governor. He's overseeing this area, and it was early morning. It was probably about 6 a.m., some people think. It was basically when shop opened up, when Pilate was available. They got him there first thing. And so they have him arrested. They take him there. And now they decide to take him to Pilate, to the Roman governor. Why would these Jewish leaders bring Jesus, who is a Jew, to a Roman governor? Well, it's a great question. Pilate held a small portion of civil control over the Sanhedrin, these Jewish leaders. And he was the head of the judicial system. He had the power to inflict capital punishment, something that the Jewish leaders could not do, which would explain why they came to him for the order to crucify Jesus. It says they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled or made unclean, and, but they could, could eat the Passover. So the first kingdom we see here is a kingdom of comfort and self-righteousness. And what we've seen time and time again since Jesus arrives on the scene is that the Jewish leaders are less and less comfortable with this because this threatens their comfort in their roles. They were extremely religious, but void of any real faith or relationship with God. They lorded over people a lot of man-made rules that people could not meet so that they would stay underneath their rule. They would choose certain laws to follow and they would toss out other laws that were not convenient for them at the time. And Jesus, as he's come on the scene, he doesn't do that. Instead, he offers kindness, he offers compassion, he offers forgiveness, things that threatened them and threatened their role and threatened their comfort. They would look down on others. They desperately wanted to be in control at all times. You can see pride getting in the way of fear, trying to prove their righteousness. They would go out in the streets and they would pray in these amazing long prayers and they would give a ton of money to the temple as long as they had a crowd to witness it and praise them for it. On the outside, they looked incredibly godly, like they had everything together, but on the inside, they were twisted and crumbling. And so this was a threat to them. And it shows how twisted man-made religion can get. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've witnessed this. I don't know if you caught it, but they were okay with trying to murder Jesus. And they thought that that wouldn't make them unclean. But stepping inside of Pilate's house would. They wanted to be able to continue to celebrate Passover, not realizing or ignoring that they were seeking to put to death the true Passover lamb. They completely missed it. Out of their pride, out of their arrogance, out of their self-righteousness, 
their mini kingdom that they were building, they wanted to hold on to at all cost, even if they missed the Son of God that was right in front of them. That's phenomenal. If we take this down to our level for a minute, I think that we, in our pride, can think that we know what's best. And oftentimes what we think is best, at least functionally in the way that we live, is comfort. Whatever's going to make me comfortable, whatever's going to make my family comfortable, whatever's going to keep me from facing something difficult, challenging. And so we'll do everything that we can to maybe build up that sort of kingdom or to maintain or preserve that sort of kingdom. We can want things to look a certain way, go a certain way. We want bigger. We want better. We want it more quickly. These kings of our own many kingdoms built on things like money, pleasure, desire, and image. Oftentimes we want to be the have, not the have-nots, and we'll do anything to accomplish that. How do we know if this is the kind of kingdom that we're building or that we're tempted to build? And by the way, when we talk about this, guess what? It's all of us. Me, you, we all have this temptation to build up our own kingdoms. Every single one of us. But how do we know? Here are some questions. Do you think less of others that don't have what you have? And I know we never say it out loud, but inwardly, is that a thought that pops up? Are you generous with others, or do you often think of your desires first? Do you feel anxiety when you want something but can't have it? Or do you feel content with what you have? Or maybe you've found that you tend to build up this kingdom that's founded on on self-righteousness, maybe a more religious form of comfort here. Like these leaders, we can be intense religious rule followers, thinking that that's what ultimately matters. We're quick to check the box of coming to church, being in a community group, giving 10%, reading a chapter of the Bible a day and making sure our kids do the same, we've become strong believers that doing the right thing means being the right thing, but missing the relationship and all of it. When we fall short, we feel condemned. We feel shamed. We don't easily receive grace, but we often try to earn it with what we do. We're comfortable in the routine that we've built and have allowed this to become our justification for righteousness instead of Jesus. How do we know if this is the kind of kingdom we're building? Well, here's a couple questions to reflect on. Are you quick to offer correction, but slow to receive it? Are you quick to share how much you know about the Bible, religion, and spirituality, but slow to share your flaws and struggles? Do you often encourage others in their faith or more often find yourself pointing out where they're falling short or need to improve? Are you quick to share what you've done, what you've built, what you've taken part of inside of the church for God, but slow to celebrate how God is using others? Do you find joy in giving and serving and sacrifice, or do you find that that comes with a lot of tension, pressure, and resistance? When you mess up, when you fall short, when you blow it, are you quick to run to Jesus, or are you quicker to run from Jesus and try to hide out? These leaders, they hate that Jesus claims to be God. Ultimately, that's why they bring him to Pilate, because he claims to be the Son of God. Why do they hate that so much? Whether they know it or not, it's because they've become their own gods. They don't want anybody else stepping on their shoes or trying to get in their way or take their place. And we can easily do that too in small and large ways. 
where we mix up God's right standing with us and we seek to take his place. Whether that's through comfort, whether that's through self-righteousness, or whether it's through other ways, as we'll see here in these next verses. So Pilate enters the scene here. It says in 29, he goes outside and to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? Why have you brought this man before me? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. A great non-answer. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own laws. Hey, you shouldn't be bringing him to me. You can't even tell me what he's guilty of. Take him and judge him. And then we find out what they really want. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. It's like, whoa. So he must have done something really, really bad if you're bringing him to me. You want him put to death. Okay. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Just as a side note here, isn't it amazing that Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen? He knows what kind of death he's going to die, and yet he continues to step forward in it. He continues to step forward out of love, out of kindness, out of grace. We see in Pilate this kingdom of power and protection. I can relate with this. Pilate was not a fan of the Jewish people, and guess what? They weren't a fan of him. They didn't like each other. In fact, Pilate is in town here at this time. He's, he's essentially overseen. He's making sure that the Jewish people, that the Jewish nation, that they don't revolt and try to take over. Things are tense. He's set up shop here. He's scared of stirring things up. He doesn't want to do that. When he asks for the charge that they bring against him, they don't give him an answer. And it would have been right for Pilate to send them away because, as we note, they don't even present that real charge, but that's not his response. Even though he knows that what's happening is wrong, he cares about something else far more than justice. He cares about protecting his position of power. He can't imagine the thought of not having control, and he's afraid that if he doesn't at least hear these leaders out, that they might revolt that something bad might happen. They might even seek to try to take his life, and so he is protecting his literal and figurative kingdom. And you and I, we love power. This doesn't mean that we necessarily love being in power over people, but we can simply love control. We love having control, and more often than not, we can use this control to try to protect ourselves. There are many different types of protection. Maybe we have a fear of being wrong, and so we hide behind our knowledge. Maybe a fear of being known, and so we put on a false front that everything's great all the time. A fear of what sacrifice would require, so we push away from commitment. We build up wealth, thinking that that will protect us, and we do anything to protect that. We build up an image for ourselves, what others think of us, because we care so much about approval and we'll do anything to protect that. Or maybe you've been burned, or even worse, uh, have abuse in your past, and so you keep your distance, you build up these walls, thinking that this will protect you from getting hurt again, and you don't let people in, and this sort of becomes your kingdom, this kingdom of protection where you can't be fully known, where you stand outside of community, where you're scared of being vulnerable. We feel this need to protect what we have, what people think of us. And if this weren't enough, we can also start building our kingdom out of things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. 
Because you might say, oh gosh, should I feel guilty about having things? Is that what this is about? No. But it's when these gifts of God become the God that we have a problem. When they become the end all, be all, the thing that we can't imagine losing, the thing that we can't imagine being taken away from us, that it would completely wreck our world, there's a chance that you found your mini kingdom right there. Whatever that might be. That's what we're seeing here in this passage. Why is it, let me ask this question, why is it that we can become so drawn to building up these many kingdoms in our lives? So intent on making the main thing, the end all be all, power, protection, pleasure, self-righteousness, comfort, a mix of all of the above. These foundations built on wealth, image, pleasure, fear, pride. Why is that? Let me share this quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it gets to a bit of the heart of this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We either ignore or forget that there's something far better, that there's something far more. We get so convinced by the lies that we hear in culture, by the false hope that's presented to us, by the lies that pop up in relationships that tell us this is the most important. Here's where your identity needs to be. Here's what matters most. Ignore that. Pick up this, this shiny thing that we believe is what it's all about And we can become consumed by it, this lesser thing, and we miss out on the greatest thing. Like the kid that's content with making mud pies, we miss out on what God has for us. Not for our harm, but for our good, what he's inviting us into. And so we keep building up these things that we think are it when really they're filled at the foundation with anxiety, with fear, with incredibly tiring, consuming, man-made desires. These kingdoms that will be washed away, just like Pilate's, just like these Jewish leaders. They'll be washed away. And Jesus is offering something far better, a different kind of kingdom with a very different kind of king. Ready for some good news? Because I know we've been, in, we've been in the valley of heaviness. You ready for some good news this morning, I hope? Here's where it comes. Here's where the gospel is put on display. Here's where Jesus is put on display. Here's why all of this matters. Here's why God cares about it so much. So here's what happens in this trial. Verse 33, so Pilate entered, as we see this kingdom of truth, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Like, can you imagine Pilate saying this? Like, yo, man, what did you do? Like, they want you dead. Like, they they don't want just a slap on the wrist. Like, they want you dead. What has happened here? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Remember, Jesus goes willingly. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Here's where Jesus hits the nail on the head. Here's his purpose. Here's his life. Here's the kingdom. 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? What a great question. (laughs) All right, what is truth? What is truth? You say that your purpose is to come into the world and to tell people about the truth. So, So what is it? In a world full of lies, in a world full of deceit, in a world full of broken promises, in a world full of false hope, selfish ambition, brokenness, Rebellion, anger, arrogant doubters, the wounded, the abused, the mentally and emotionally fragile, the selfish, all of this, what is the truth that you're speaking of here? Here it is. Here it is. Don't miss it. Here's the truth. Jesus says unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish that no one should pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all the truth. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one, John 10, 27 through 30. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, truth, but because of his own purpose and grace. Amazingly good news and truth. This grace that was given to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, 2 Timothy 1.9. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. Isn't that a great truth? He will not turn his face from you if you return to him, 2 Chronicles 39. Here's a great one. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. What a fantastic truth. Psalm 103.12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Isn't that a great truth for wayward souls like ours? Psalm 103.8. And check this one out. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. What a great kingdom of truth. Out of all the falsities, out of all the lies, out of all the things that we can buy into, out of all the things that we can try to build on our own, and our pride wants us to. Our pride wants everything in us right now just to push back from all of this and say, I don't really want to hear this. Like, I want to go on today. I'm going to go hang out, trick-or-treat, go do some Halloween parties. By the way, if you're expecting a Halloween message today, I'm sorry. Um, I don't even know what that would be, but all right, let me stick to the notes. But this amazing truth that we find in Jesus, how is it possible that someone could offer up and promise these truths? Here's the only way it's possible. If this is God. It says, with man, this is impossible. Well, with God, Matthew 19, 26, all things are possible. That standing before Pilate right now is the very son of God, is the very truth, is the very one that came to seek and to save the rebellious, the lost, the broken, the hurting, the wounded, a.k.a. you and me. And he brings this kingdom of truth It's made possible through and by Jesus. Here's great news. The king of a kingdom that goes far beyond this world, although this kingdom has been brought down by God and this kingdom is being built in this world as we enter this kingdom, as those who are lost come back home, this kingdom goes far beyond it. This is an unending kingdom. This is an eternal kingdom. It's a fantastic kingdom built on love, on grace, on compassion, on kindness, not on shame, not on condemnation, not on rejection, Built by Jesus, a kingdom with a very different currency and purpose where the poorest of the poor have the same treatment and seat at the table as the richest of the rich, 
where you're not justified by what you know, but in who you know. A kingdom where the prostitute, the murderer, the liar, the thief, the gossip, the addicted aren't shamed for their past, but forgiven and embraced into a family through a son who was sent to blot it all out. A kingdom where the abused, the lonely, the outcast, the aborted, the orphaned are now found in this tight-knit, safe family with a good and loving and grace-filled father over the family, never to be forgotten, never to be abused, never to be cast out, no more tears, only love, only hope, only grace. A kingdom that's not built on the foundation that we see in this world. It's not built on money. It's not built on pleasure. It's not built on wealth. It's not built on a bigger house. It's not built on better cars. It's not built on your position. Instead, a kingdom built with love, compassion, kindness, grace on the foundation of one man, fully God, fully man, a kingdom built on his broken body and shed blood, a kingdom built on something that you and I deserved, but he would go in our place with an open door to receive anyone and everyone, no matter how outcast, no matter how beat down, no matter how forgotten, anyone and everyone, no matter what your background, no matter how many sins, no matter what's in your past, no matter how unloved you think you are, anyone that accepts this good news of grace by faith, these people of truth, the truth of Jesus, not the lie that I need to do it, I need to build it, I need to make more, but the truth that he has, he's done it, it is finished. And not only do we get to be a part of this kingdom and invited into it, we also get to help build it as we press into this good news and as we live in and out of it and we share this good news with other broken, wayward people just like us as the sons and daughters are brought back home as the prodigal comes back to the father, the only kingdom worth your time, the only kingdom worth your energy, the only kingdom worth your affection, the kingdom of God. And what a beautiful kingdom it is. Amen. Amen. This beautiful kingdom built on grace. So here's what happens. Here's how it wraps up. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told him, Pilate knew He said, I found no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And we also know that Barabbas was a murderer. He tried to revolt, turn over the government, be a part of a group that would rebel against. He's imprisoned. He's sentenced to death. Pilate, in protection mode, he tries to find a way to set Jesus free. He can't imagine that they're going to want to release Barabbas, and yet, because they're so set on protection, they're so set on their ways, that that's exactly what they do. That instead of freeing Jesus, the only one who is holy, the only one who is completely blameless, they choose to free a robber and a murderer, a man who absolutely deserves death and this punishment. Why is this so important? Why is this more than just a footnote at the end of chapter 18 and the end of this section? Here it is. Don't miss it. You and I, we are Barabbas. Barabbas is every single one of us. We are the rebellious. We're the murderers. We're the proud. We're the selfish. We're the reckless. We're the ungrateful. We're the self-centered, self-seeking, judging others, hard-hearted, needy, many kingdom-building children, imprisoned by sin, our own actions and desires, completely hopeless and helpless. We are Barabbas. 
Barabbas is us. We deserve death. But then, here's the good news. Just when we thought all hope was lost, we hear the footsteps coming down the hall. We hear the keys clanging. And we see the door open. Imagine these words that Barabbas would have heard. Hear them today in your own soul as Jesus says this to you. Free to go. Free to live. Free to hope again. And as we walk out of that cell trying to take it all in, we start to hear more footsteps walking down the hall, but toward us, not away from us. We look up to see another pass beside us, bound and bruised, being locked in the cell that we just walked out of, Jesus. An exchange of sin for innocence. The audacity of this kind of grace. The beauty of this kind of love. The unshakable nature of this kind of kingdom. So unshakable. So secure. That you and I, check this out, we get something far better than Barabbas. Maybe you feel the weight of this today. Maybe you just feel a little bit worthless. Maybe you feel a little bit broken. Maybe you're feeling the weight of all this today. Here's the beauty. Here's the good news. Barabbas could have gone out He could have broken more laws, be thrown right back in that jail cell. When you are in Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what kingdom you're currently trying to build, no matter how wayward you go, you can never be thrown back in that cell again. Great news that his grace is that big, that his grace is that good. It promises that to us. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Praise God for that. (laughs) That his grace is that good. As Frederick Buckner says, turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better than anything we ever dared hope. And that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news is of all glad things in this world, the gladdest thing of them all. Amen. And come, Lord Jesus. That is the kingdom he's inviting you into and to help build. What a beautiful kingdom that is. (laughs) A loving father, grace instead of condemnation, love instead of rejection, hope instead of helplessness, freedom instead of pride that we don't have to prove it to ourselves, prove it to anybody else, that we don't have to build something that's going to get washed away a mud pie, but we can be embraced in the kingdom of love and grace and kindness and mercy by Jesus, the one who took it all. We can either build our own kingdoms that rise and fall on us, or we can experience a freedom and joy and peace that comes from embracing the kingdom of God being a part of that. And so what do we do today? What's the response here? Here's what I think it is. Reflection, repentance, and reorientation. Reflection. I know it's hard. I know our pride wants to push away from it. But even in these moments right now, reflect. Where do you sense God saying, yeah, you've kind of been building your own kingdom here. I want you to hand that to me. You've kind of been too focused on these things being the end all be all. And guess what? It's not nearly that important. Hand it to me. You've sort of made this thing a God in your life. And I want to take that place because that is not going to give you what you think it will. In fact, it's going to crush you.
let me take that. To repent, literally to turn from those things, to turn from our sin, to turn from our kingdom building, and to turn toward Jesus, just like the prodigal son, to come back home to him. And reorientation, to literally change the way that we think and live, to be kingdom-minded people, for our currency to be relationships, not things, to sacrifice instead of try to get, 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 to tell people about this good news and to live out of it. What do all of these man-made kingdoms have in common? They're all about getting and preserving, and the kingdom of God is all about giving it away, to give away our lives just like Jesus gave away his. What good news that we can be a part of this kingdom. We are all kingdom builders. There's nothing that we've done to earn this. It's all by grace. It's all out of love. We've been given the opportunity to be a part of an unshakable kingdom, to help build up a lasting kingdom, to embrace it, the kingdom of God, the kingdom built on the love of Jesus, our cornerstone, the kingdom that is never ending. Let us embrace that kingdom today. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness and your grace. Jesus, for anyone who may not have a relationship with you that's had these false ideas about you, that's, that's felt condemned, that hasn't understood or heard about grace, Jesus, would they embrace it today? Would we be a church that welcomes and celebrates new life today in you? Would you bring wayward children home? And, and here's the beauty of your grace is that we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to wash our face off. We don't have to get it all together to come to you. Instead, you come to us and you receive us just as we are. Jesus, for those of us that have a relationship with you, but we've sort of walked off on our own way. We've sort of tried to go build our own thing, do our own thing. We're, we're glad you've saved us, but now we're on to other things. Would you bring us back home? Would you take away the lesser things that have become the greatest things and replace it with a new heart for you, a new desire for the things of you? Would we care about our neighbors? Would we love what you love, hate what you hate? Would you give us a new mind and a new heart? For all of us, Jesus, and for our church, would you use us to put the name of Jesus on display? Not ourselves, but Jesus the only one worthy of our praise, the only one worthy of our worship, the only one who took what we should have taken, the Passover lamb. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for now in response, being able to respond, being able to be at peace with you, being able to commune with you, being able to worship you for who you are. Jesus, you are good and we need you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.